Hey, howdy, hey! Welcome back to Disney Versus, the podcast where we have animated discussions about animated movies. I'm Tori. I'm Grace. With us, we have Heather. How are you doing, Heather? I'm doing pretty good. Are you having the howdiest of hey? Yeah. Howdy do. I swear he says it in the movie, guys. I promise. <laughs> Go back and listen. <laughs> howdy do the neighbor. If you're new to the show, we've taken 64 Disney and Pixar movies, ranked them in a March Madness style bracket, and we talk about and eliminate them until we have a true winner. So at this point, we're about three quarters through the first round. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disneyverses, on Twitter at DisneyVS, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and on Google Play Music. What's up, guys? How are we feeling this week? Good. Yeah. I watched so much Disney. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we marathoned almost. (laughs) If you didn't hear, Zootopia and Moana were nominated for Oscars for Best Animated Feature, and Mm -hmm. Moana was nominated for Best Original Song for How Far I'll Go. Do you have any predictions? I'm thinking it'll be just like the Golden Globes, unfortunately. I really want Lin-Manuel Miranda to get his PGOT, which Mm -hmm. is he'll have won a Pulitzer, an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Mm -hmm. He already has P-E-G-T, so he just needs the Oscar for the O. Mm -hmm. Best of luck to him. I really hope he brings it home, even though he's up against La La Land, which I still haven't seen. Yeah. I'll get to that this weekend or something. Grace, what are our matchups for this episode? This week, we have The Rescuers versus The Incredibles, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves versus Hercules, Toy Story 2 versus A Bug's Life, and A Goofy Movie versus The Rescuers Down Under. This is going to be good. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I, I was excited to watch some of these. I already mentioned in a previous episode that I needed to give Toy Story 2 another chance. I'm not completely decided on what I'm going to pick this week, which oh, is, Lord. Oh, no. I'm, I'm pulling a you guys. <laughs> Don't say you guys. You're going to be pulling a me, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. I'm always the one who can't decide. We know that. They know that. We know that. Awesome. Well, let's get into The Rescuers versus The Incredibles. The Rescuers is about a group of mice called the Rescue Aid Society, who find a message in a bottle from a young girl who is being held captive by an evil woman, and the rat, the mice go on a mission to save this little girl. The Incredibles is about a family of former superheroes who are brought back into service when the father, Bob Parr, gets nostalgic for his glory days. And when... He is threatened by an arch-villain. It's up to his family to save him and then the city. Cool. What were your first impressions? Do you remember watching these movies when they first came out? I don't remember seeing The Incredibles in theaters, but I remember when it came out on DVD, I wore that shit out. (laughs) I grew up on X-Men and, you know, comic books and superhero TV shows, so when... Disney and Pixar decided, hey, let's make a movie about superheroes. I'm like, I'm all in. It easily became one of my favorite, not just cartoon movies, it became one of my favorite movies, period. Mm -hmm. And then The Rescuers, I don't think I saw The I saw The Rescuers Down Under first, which is the sequel that we'll talk about later. And I didn't see The Rescuers until I went on my crusade to watch 
every Disney classic. Mm-hmm. I wasn't impressed. I had the same opinion that I have about the Home Alone movies. The second one <gasps> is the best one. So, yeah. <laughs> Fighting words, apparently. I, uh, uh, this is a Disney podcast. It's not about Home Alone. It's not about Home Alone yet. Fighting words. Come at me. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen The Rescuers. I was familiar with The Rescuers Down Under. And when I rewatched that, that was very familiar. I don't think I had seen The Rescuers before this viewing. The Incredibles, I've loved. I have to say in the last several years, maybe since the last several Pixar movies have come out, it's kind of fallen by the wayside. It's not one of my favorites, but it is, it's really good. It's it's a really solid movie. It's got, it's got all the good things. Well, let's jump into plot a little bit more. So which one do you want to do first? I can talk about The Rescuers. So basically, the plot of The Rescuers is a girl named Penny is kidnapped by an evil woman named Madame Medusa. Let me just say, her. she has the most evil name. I forgot that was her name. It's an alliteration. It's Medusa. She's Madame. Come on. She's also a redhead. Yeah. And she's super fucking evil. And she wants to be adopted. Like, the movie starts out kind of like Law and Order, where it shows her getting away, and she sends a message in a bottle. And I think some mice... Do they find it in New York? Like, does it wash up on the shore? Yeah, it was um, in a river under a bridge of some sort or something like that. And then, like, some other mice basically found it and then brought it to them. They find the bottle. They find the message in the bottle. And they convene in base under the UN. They ba- they show these scenes where it's the UN is assembling. And at the same time, the Rescue Aid Society is assembling. And it's... They assemble, and they decide, hey, we need to go rescue this girl. And they say, who's going to do it? And Miss Bianca, the delegate from Hungary, volunteers. Then she picks her partner, who is Bernard, the janitor for the group. He's like the janitor slash... He's kind of like Filch in Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah, he's a caretaker, kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's the caretaker. And they go on the adventure to... they, They, you know, they go charter and albatross to take them to i guess it's louisiana because it's a swamp yeah that would make sense they crash in the swamp and they get help from some locals who give them a boat to use and then they find the and then they locate where the girl is they somehow get in they get attacked by the henchmen who are gators and then through some other circumstances the girl gets drop down a well because madame medusa is looking for a diamond and the i think the cave gets flooded somehow so the tide goes in and out and so she can only get to the cave when it's at low tide oh, okay i seriously missed that part of the movie i don't even remember how madame medusa loses they the diamond ends up in her the girl's teddy bear doesn't it yeah so there was like a fight on the boat you know, fireworks involved. Yeah, there were fireworks involved or something. And uh, basically, Madame Medusa burns bridges with her henchmen and also her gators. Somehow she loses grip of the bear and uh, the kid ends up... The kid or the mice end up getting it. And then they get on some other boat and start going away, like start boating away. And then for some reason, she gets attacked by uh, other animals like other mice end up getting attacked 
like end up attacking her. She ends up water skiing on her gators behind oh, yeah. this because she holds onto the rope. And she ends up water skiing on her gators, and then she ends up like smacking into this, uh, to this like random tree in a swamp because that's real. It is that's a real thing. So she ends up running into this <laughs> random tree, and then she has to climb up this tree because her gators don't like her because she was beating the hell out of them to make them go faster to keep to keep up with the boat that was going away with her diamond. Blah blah blah, and that's how she loses because she gets stuck up in a tree and then probably eaten later. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we paid a lot of attention to this movie. Guys, I got lost so many times in this movie. Yeah. I'm not even going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was with them. I was with the movie until we got to the swamp. And then once we met the locals, I was like, hold on. I don't remember these guys. What the hell is going on? Yeah. Okay, do you want to move on to the plot of The Incredibles? Yeah, it's so much simpler. In the beginning, Bob's a superhero. He gets married to Elastigirl. He has a family... And he stops being a superhero because he saved someone who didn't want to be saved. And he got sued. So the government was like, hey, we'll cover you, but you can't save people anymore. Not even just Mr. Incredible, but all superheroes at this point have to be have to go into hiding and be relocated. Yeah, he started a domino effect in that suing. Mr. Incredible fucked up and then other superheroes started fucking up. So the government was like, okay, we'll cover you, but y'all gotta go away. And so, you know, years later, Incredible and Elastigirl have a family, and Mr. Incredible is kind of, he, he has a midlife crisis. He's bored with his life because he used to be a hero. He used to be great. And he has this little, his man cave in his house with all his old awards and his old costume. So a mysterious figure gets a message to him and says, I have a way that you can be a hero again. And behind his wife's back, he resumes hero work. And it turns out that the person who wants him to be a hero again is an old fan of his who became a villain. And he gets captured. Like I said in my summary, he his family has to save him. And it becomes this whole thing. I mean, it's his wife thinks he's cheating, which in the grand scheme of things is kind of hilarious. <laughs> Why is it hilarious? I think it's funny. There's a certain level of deceit that is very hurtful, um, I think. Yeah. So I don't I don't think it's too far out for her to be to assume that or even to blame him for sneaking behind her back. Like that's a pretty serious that's that's something really serious to keep from your partner. I don't think she was very logical about well, she was logical about it, but she went the more domestic route because her she says it to edna she says you know the the working the gifts the working out the lying because he gets fired and she decides to call him with you know the info that she he had been giving her and the receptionist on the phone has to tell her that he had been fired months ago Mm -hmm. and she jumps to cheating when you know your husband misses being a hero. You even said it to him a while back. Like, you miss being a hero. Your job is frustrating. Mm-hmm. And you know that's his kind of Achilles heel. Like you come, He sneaks back in and you find the rubble. Mm-hmm. And she jumps to cheating instead of, oh my god, he's being a hero again. <laughs> but she heard Mirage on the phone. Yeah, true. That is the thing. 
that's that's the kicker. That's the thing that makes yeah. her think that it's cheating because then she says, oh, uh, who was on the phone? Or like another client? And he's like, uh, nobody important, but you know, duty calls. She also breaks down after Edna shows her the suits that she made. Well, because he's been lying to her this whole time. It's much less that he is being a superhero. Yeah. I think that's a part of it because she's asked him not to. Multiple times, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. They're only safe because they're not acting as superheroes. And every time that they make a mistake, they have to relocate. And when she and when Grace says they, she means Mr. Incredible because he's the one that's been doing all the superhero work behind everybody's back. And that's proven because the government's like, we can't keep doing this. Like, you have to stop. You know what? I'm gonna. No- I'm not gonna put a hundred percent of this on Mr. Incredible. I'm gonna put ninety eight percent of it on him because we know that two percent is when Dash decided to show off and race the neighborhood kids. That's true. Yeah. And ran around the world, and the kids were like, "What the fuck did you just do?" And I'm like, "Uh, mom, I think we have to move again." Want to see me do it again? I think. One of the times they had to move, it was probably Dash's fault. Ooh, and maybe Violet when she was first learning her powers and she like randomly went invisible in classroom and like just floating clothes. Can you imagine? Yeah, she was introducing herself as the new kid and then got super nervous and it just disappeared. Let's talk a little bit about the side characters and the Incredibles. So I didn't realize that Edna is voiced by a male voice. Yeah, it's voiced by the director. Yeah. Brad Bird did the voice. Which I thought was awesome. I think the story behind that is so funny. Oh, I don't think I know it. He brought in Lily Tomlin to... That's who I picture. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Because that's who I picture. He brought her in to like audition slash read for the voice. And in, in the explanation of him telling her what he wanted, she was like, why do you even need me? You got it down already. And it mm-hmm. stuck. She's only in the movie for maybe five minutes total. She really isn't, as far as the entire movie goes, she plays a a fairly small role, but everything that comes out of her mouth is so perfect and memorable. Like, you remember every time she's on on the screen. Mm -hmm. The thing she says, we use in everyday life now. Mm -hmm. More than probably any other Disney movie, any other Disney character, I think we probably quote her more. No games. <laughs> I certainly say, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Edna Mold. And guest. <laughs> Seriously, I don't. I don't think there's any other Disney character that we quote like that. Um, and I think I'm not thinking of any right now. The only person I'm thinking of that comes to mind is Cusco. You threw off my groove. Yeah. I don't even know who that is. So no. From the Emperor's. Well, we'll get to that. What did you think about Buddy as the villain? I can't remember how I felt at the time, but I like that as Buddy. It's a better revenge plot than Goobs from Meet the Robinsons. Yeah, It's much better. That's exactly the thought that I had while I was watching this. I'm glad we watched this afterwards because I'm not sure I would have made that connection. Yeah, same here. But I think it's, it's realistic. Like, he was obsessed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Back when Mr. Incredible was still a phenomenon, and then he breaks his little heart, and then also disappears because the government tells him to. Yes, exactly. I think on one hand, cool, you totally inspired this kid to become this crazy, insane inventor, but also the actions, the impression you have on people can 
result in some very serious consequences. Be nice to people, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You never know who you inspire. You never know who you scorn. Yeah. Let's put a pin in that and talk about the rescuers for a minute. I liked what there are a lot of things that I didn't like about the the rescuers, but let me talk about the stuff that I didn't like first. I liked the creepy twin henchmen because it reminds me a lot of Flotsam and Jetsam. They were green. They had green eyes. <laughs> they were twins. It's not like, you know, Pain and Panic from Hercules where they were completely different. They were twin gators who worked in sync most of the time. And they were the pets, like, she loved, she adored, until the end, when she started whipping them, she adored her pets. And it gave me a very Ursula vibe. They didn't make that much of an impression on me, quite honestly. They chuckled a lot. They yeah. Did. I liked the progressiveness of the Rescue Aid Society, because it was very diverse, and it's it's essentially the UN for mice. Mm-hmm. And when Miss Bianca volunteered to go on this mission nobody nobody rejected her they were just like you got this yeah sure As, no she was their first female she was going to be their first female to go on a mission by herself mm-hmm. or to volunteer for a mission and he was like pick someone to go with you like they gave her complete authority to you know call well, the shots it wasn't quite that easy because they s- said that she shouldn't go alone yes because she's a lady because she's a lady I did, I made a note that I was like, wow, mice diversity. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that, I thought that was very cool. I like that Miss Bianca is the dominant in the duo. Bernard is a little bit timid. He's the wet blanket of the group. He's superstitious. And Miss Bianca is all about it. She's all about the adventure. She's a proper lady, but she's not going to let that get in the way of adventure and helping others. Let's talk about how twisted Madame Medusa is towards this little girl, Penny. Uh, did she kidnap her? How did she get a hold of Penny in the first place? Because Penny was originally from an orphanage, but she wasn't adopted. I think she did kidnap her. She got kidnapped, um, and it was in the news because they were like, orphan girl stolen from blah, blah, blah. Just when she was about to be adopted, or something like that. Like, it was weird. She's gross. Her makeup is nasty. I got I got Corella DeVille overtones from her, because she, she, her makeup, like you guys said, her, the way she dressed, the way she drove. When she was driving to the airport, she had those crazy eyes that Corella DeVille got. Mm. I have to argue with you on on the comparison between how Cruel Deville and Madame Medusa dress and present themselves, mm-hmm. because Cruel Deville is well off. She's entitled and she's rich and gaudy, yes, but well put together, also yes. Madame Medusa has thrown whatever she can together and doesn't seem to really care. She's just so obsessed with the idea of getting rich. She like thinks she's the she thinks she thinks that she's put the, put together, but she's really just a hot mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As far as the rescuers go, this film is kind of ugly. It's 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 very grainy. It's it's not very sharp. But how old is it? The rescuers came out in 1977. To give you an idea of what came out around the same time. 
The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh came out in 77. Um, Robin Hood came out in 1973. And I think Robin Hood looked better than this. I agree. It might have something to do with the rescuers being very dark. I don't know. There's a lot more pigment in this than maybe in the Robin Hood. Um, This was followed by The Fox and the Hound in 1981. And that's a brighter movie, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe it is because the whole movie was dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although this looks fairly similar to The Black Cauldron and The Great Mouse Detective, I think, which were yeah. made eight and nine years after this. So, yeah, I think I think part of it ha- might have to do with the color scheme. But yeah, I wasn't terribly impressed with this. The Incredibles is incredibly glossy and beautiful. Not glossy in the way that Meet the Robinses is but kind of rounded edges and I I don't know. I think this animation style really works, especially for a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. It was the first time Pixar had worked with people as their main characters because in the past they had toys, oh. bugs, and monsters, and fish. So it was a completely different way that they had to work. Mm-hmm. One thing I specifically remember about the animation style is they kind of overdo intentionally overdo body types like mr incredible has this huge upper body and this tiny tiny butt (laughs) tiny tiny legs elastigirl has this tiny waist and these big hips and yeah she does (laughs) right (laughs) their daughter violet 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 is the super skinny super tall um, girl who's a little hunched over. She's insecure about her body. And then Dash is tiny for his age. He, he seems is. like he's a little shorter. Mm-hmm. There's Jack-Jack. And then <laughs> and Jack-Jack. Jack-Jack has a giant baby head. Yeah. And I like that little point of hair that he has. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Buddy, a.k.a. Syndrome, has this really squared off face. Mm-hmm. He has a humongous jaw. Yeah. As far as animation goes for The Incredibles, this movie has great contrast. Mm -hmm. A huge chunk of the movie takes place on an island, on a tropical island. Um, There's lots of green. There's lots of water. The water is very pretty in this, but we're not quite to the tangled level of animation yet. Mm -hmm. The Incredibles came out in 2004. Wow. This looks fantastic for something that was made in 2004. Holy crap. I remember being wowed, like, back when, like back then. And it still kind of wows me that it looks that good. And it's not, like, that old. But, you know, like... Mm-hmm. There are so many different textures in this movie. Yeah. Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's water when Dash is running on water. Mm-hmm. And when they fall into the ocean after the plane explodes. There's the tropical island settings. Mm-hmm. For the brief moment when they fight Syndrome's goons and there's they kick up dust and everything. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. the dust there's particles lava. in the air. Mm-hmm. There's lava. There's snow at the end when Frozone freezes the wave that's coming towards them. And uh, Violet's shields. Yes, also Violet's shields. They kind of have a, um, not so much kaleidoscopic, but they kind of look like, they look like mystical bubbles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, they look like bubbles, and then they kind of have this glitter around them. 
That's like a purple hue. It's a sheen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on to the music. Um, what did you think about the music from The Rescuers? I thought it was very cartoony. Mm-hmm. It fit the atmosphere. Like There were a lot of hilarious moments. Like anytime when they were taking off, it was very uh, Wild Blue Yonder-esque. I'm not sure if it was this one or the sequel that used the, the um, Navy theme. Not the Navy, sorry. The Air Force theme. Yes, it was this one, I believe. I think that was very appropriate. But other than that, it wasn't very... It didn't leave an impression on me. Yeah, I had I, I had to separate The Rescuers versus The Rescuers Down Under because The Rescuers Down Under has a very different um, soundtrack. Yes. But yeah, I thought it was appropriate, but nothing too stellar. I love the music from The Incredibles. Who written does by it? Mm-hmm. Michael Giacchino. Yeah, it's just, it's got some great, really memorable themes that could also be used in other movies. I think the the soundtrack to this to The Incredibles is very adult in some ways. Yes. Mm-hmm. UNT, uh, I think they're like seven o'clock band or something like that. Actually played the theme from Incredibles sometime while I was in college. Oh, cool. Universities and whatever, like they play they play these charts. Mm-hmm. Probably for those killer trumpet lakes, not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. Hearing those live, it's squeal inducing. And I say squeal inducing because the guy sitting next to me squealed when I heard that it in concert. Okay, so of these two, what is your pick? Definitely the Incredibles. Shocker. I like the I like the name of this matchup, the rescuers versus the Incredibles, because it sounds like a comic book. <laughs> but that's kinda where the interest stops. When you watch The Rescuers, it's a, I have written down, it's a very ugly and boring movie. I got lost a bunch. Mm-hmm. And there's not enough, I didn't think there was enough substance in this to keep me interested. Yeah. And I didn't think so either. It's, it's a really simple movie. It's a very simple plot. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have much spectacle to go beyond the simplicity that it has. Yeah. Like the Incredibles, if you explain this to a child that it's about a family of superheroes, they're hooked. Immediately. Mm-hmm. With older people, you can go into, you know, the midlife crisis aspect of it. The lover, the fanboy scorned that is mm-hmm. syndrome. People will, I I feel like I'd be hooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just the domestic life, too. Like, the way they bicker. <laughs> Especially yes, like, exactly. you need to take this exit. No, I thought it was this exit. No, you need to turn it right now. <laughs> like, yeah. The Incredibles is my pick as well, obviously. <laughs> um, I'm very excited to talk about this in our next in our next round. To give some perspective, Tori, you ranked The Rescuers at 47th. I ranked it as 59th, having not really remembering. Um, Heather, you ranked this in your tier three. And then, Tori, you ranked The Incredibles as number five. I ranked it as number nine. And Heather ranked this in tier one. Finally, something Heather put in tier one. Jeez. Right? Your tier right. three is stacked. Well, I'm looking at it. She's definitely got she's got some things coming up that yeah. are tier one. Wreck-It Ralph was tier one for her, too. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> Do you think these are going to move around at all in your rankings? I said it in the last episode that... The Incredibles should be higher than what it is. Mm-hmm. Probably top, at least top four. 
and the rescuers did i really rank it that high yeah goodness (laughs) i wonder if you got it mixed up with the rescuers down under oh no i know the rescuers down under is higher than the rescuers but i didn't realize the rescuers was this high (laughs) so that'll move down it's definitely in the 50s now like low 50s (laughs) yeah it'll probably move down to tier four for me i i can go a while without seeing it again I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm ever gonna watch this again, to be honest. No, I don't think I need to. Yeah, I rank The Incredibles as ninth, and this one's tough for me because this was one of my favorites for a long time, and I don't know if I've just seen it too many times or what. This will probably make my top ten as a favorite. I think it probably deserves to be higher. I think it's probably a better movie than some other movies I would put ahead of it. Let's move on to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs versus hercules snow white and the seven dwarfs is about an evil queen who is so obsessed with herself she's incredibly vapid that she she banishes her stepdaughter um, and makes her a servant and when she's told by her magic mirror that she the queen is not the most beautiful woman in existence anymore she sends a huntsman to cut out her heart and it's about snow white running away from the huntsman and running into these seven dwarves and yeah hercules is about the son of zeus who is kidnapped by the lord of the underworld hades in an attempt to overthrow zeus and rule the world the story is about hercules trying to learn what it means to be a true hero and rejoin his father zeus on mount olympus and stop hades from ruling the world I remember loving Hercules. Hercules is still one of my favorite Disney movies. I remember watching Hercules the least of all the movies that came out in the 90s. I didn't hate it, but it wasn't one of my absolute favorites. Hmm. Um, I think it was probably... I think I should have loved it because it's, you know, Hercules. It's a guy. And he's, you know, not a princess, obviously. I remember watching Snow White when I was little on when they re-released it mm-hmm. on VHS. Like we had the VHS. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and say that I loved it from like when I first saw it. Snow White was an acquired taste for me. I mean, I like it now. I'm not going to say I love it, mm-hmm. but I do understand the reverence that it has. Like I'm there. Are, there are some really good things in this. And when you say it's the first animated feature ever the first the first fully animated american feature it's a marvel to be like whoa this is really good i remember watching this as a kid not super vividly i was really worried that this was going to disappoint that this was going to be one of those movies that i remembered enjoying as a kid that i really didn't like as an adult and i i i wasn't disappointed i really do enjoy snow white i think it's a good it's a it's a solid movie. It's obviously a popular story. They've remade this movie so many times. They're coming out with a live action version of it. What? I thought they did that already. Kristen Stewart was in it. It had Thor. I was telling Heather, I really want a dwarfs like prequel. Cause oh. the dwarfs are really if you dig into them, they could be really interesting characters. Like they have, they have backstory. Like how did they're old? Dopey's young. Clearly, they kind of have some kind of history with the queen because they know about how evil she is. Fun fact: 
one of the dwarves, one of the names considered for the dwarfs was um, Snoopy. What? And Schultz was thankful because then he would have had to come up with a different name for his dog. His pup. I think the plot of Snow White is fairly simple. It's straightforward. Um, and, and it does a good job of flushing out a simple storyline. Yeah. Basically, Snow White has run away from this traumatic experience, which, let's talk about the evil queen for a second. She wants to have her heart cut out and put into a box as proof that Snow White is dead. Yo, that's that's understandable because think of all the trophy bucks that are hanging in <laughs> that are hanging in man caves and living rooms around the country and outside the country. I don't see why they're not the same thing. Like it, that's all it is. It's a it's a trophy. Serial killers or whatever. <laughs> and I mean good on the queen for being like I need proof. Don't screw it up. Give me her heart in this box. Should have been like her head. <laughs> Can't fake that. Exactly. That's where she fucked up. This don't look like Snow White. Go go back. Yeah. <laughs> Try again. Apparently when this movie came out in theaters, the theater had to replace the upholstery on the chairs because it scared kids so bad that they kept peeing their pants. <laughs> <laughs> right? And no, that scene the scene where Snow White is running away from the huntsman the huntsman and all of these trees are grabbing her and that's really scary and the music's scary too yeah it is yeah all the trees turn to hands and stuff yeah and it's like um and seeing and... shadows in your window of like the tree behind you or it, like in front of your house and you think that the shadows are trees and you're kind of like <gasps> but really it's not or it's like when you're a kid and you see like something under your bed and it looks like a monster and it's just you know a sweater something like that like you you your mm-hmm. mind plays tricks on you when you're afraid. Like, all those things that were grabbing her. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. she was just, you know, scared and off balance and bumping into tree branches that were sticking yeah. on her clothing. Trees yeah. don't have to get her. Looking back on how I remembered this, I thought the trees were coming to life. And watching it again this time, I definitely think it's more that this is very obviously in her head. This is her imagination running wild with it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and you kind of see some of the trees go back to normal tree form yes yeah i think i think there's always like a glimpse of them returning back to just being trees when she runs away yeah i i think that's a cool a neat way to show how scared she is um without making that a super supernatural part of the environment yeah yeah because that's something that doesn't need to be supernatural but it's still terrifying Mm -hmm. yeah i was fairly disappointed that she just shuts down. She cannot deal and she just shuts down. Yeah. Falls into a ball and starts crying. Hang on. Nobody said that Snow White was a great female protagonist. Nobody ever said that. She was sheltered. Like think look at her look at her way of thinking. She breaks into the dwarf's house and is like Oh, I'm just gonna take a nap. No, not that I'm gonna take a nap. Oh, I'll clean the house and cook and then they'll let me stay. Yeah. 1930s way of thinking right there. <laughs> Let's talk about the plot for Hercules a little bit. So Hercules is adopted by this couple who, it, they're unable to have children, right? 
This is the god answering their prayers? Probably. They they say, they say, they mention something about the gods answering their prayers, so we can kind of, like, assume that assume. maybe yeah. they can't have kids or something. So Hercules grows up with in this household with this lovely couple, and he's too strong for his own good. He doesn't really know what to do with it. Um, so when he is a teenager, basically they kind of portray it like he's going through puberty. And he doesn't know what to do with all of his strength. He decides to set out on an adventure to find out where he comes from. And by adventure, he kind of just, he goes to the, the temple of Zeus. Yeah, so, I mean, he was delivered to Earth with a symbol of Zeus, with a medal that had the symbol of Zeus on it. Yeah. So that's kind of how he decided that that's where he needed to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to blow your mind. This movie is basically the story of Superman. It, it follows similar story beats. Fell from the sky. I only know a tiny bit about Superman, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Fell from the sky, raised by farmers. <laughs> Emblem of where they came from or whatever. Too strong for his own good. Hercules is older than Superman, but yes. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I it's think the exact good. same. And he becomes, you know, the symbol of... Sorry. He becomes the hero of the people after, you know, a bunch of natural disasters that he prevents and a bunch of people that he saves it's the story of superman except without the motivation superman is just i ain't got nowhere else to go yeah hercules has a goal and he wants to he wants to join his father and you know superman's father is dead yeah so hercules partners with phil who is voiced by danny devito just fantastically phil has trained other superheroes in the past and they've all failed him so he is not enthused and hercules decides he's gonna prove him wrong and phil takes a chance on him they go on these like mini missions to prove that hercules is ready hercules falls in love with meg who is a slave to hades and hades employs meg to basically trick hercules so that he can get him out of the way can Mm -hmm. yeah so that so that hercules doesn't screw up his plan because hades is like yo i got some world domination to be doing you in the way Mm -hmm. i love this movie it's probably my least favorite of the renaissance really yeah it's my least favorite and then it's you like little mermaid over over hercules barely it's hercules little mermaid (gasps) pocahontas yeah wow Let's talk about the side characters in these two movies. Do we want to talk about the dwarves as a whole? Because they kind of function as a whole. Yeah. The people who are most important to the story are Doc, Grumpy, Dopey. And then you could really do without the other four. Yeah. The other four typically get grouped together, too. Yes. Like, they're just kind of together being like, <laughs> and then, like, it pans to, like, actual dialogue. Mm-hmm. From yeah. probably Grumpy. <laughs> what about the characters from Hercules? pretty standard characters i mean you have the the trainer and phil mm-hmm. you have the horse the stock horse disney sidekick in pegasus <laughs> and then you have uh-huh. meg as his love interest you have hades the villain can we talk about hades and yes heather loves how sassy he is i love hades so much oh my god <laughs> he's the best one-liners too he's a guy <laughs> And then we have Pain and Panic. I don't love a lot of his one-liners, but when he explodes, like when he gets pissed off and just like 
turn he he literally like turns red <laughs> when he when he decides to nuke something when something doesn't go his way those are the mm-hmm. those are the moments that i love mm-hmm. but his his kind of sassy one-liners are kind of lost on me i think a lot of them were lost on me as a kid like re-watching this this movie is filled with jokes oh yeah just mm-hmm. one after the other mm-hmm. and and sometimes it's asking for it i think Hades lines in particular and I don't know if it's just because I've seen it a bunch but sometimes he's asking for the laugh Yeah. but in as a whole this movie is so funny somebody call IXII yes oh, I love that reference yeah <laughs> I didn't get that until I was older and then when yeah. I got it and I laughed nobody else was laughing so I was like come on guys it's a great yeah, line I think this is full of humor not necessarily adult humor but I mean, you have to think a little bit. Yeah. It's like knowledgeable. Or it hits you a little later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. The, the dig at Achille- Achilles. Yeah. As Achilles heel. Yeah. 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 He flicks it. So <laughs> all this kind of stuff we know from mythology because we've watched movies or we've read Edith Hamilton's mythology or mm-hmm. this exposure to stories from this time. But Heather, talk about pain and panic. Grace mentioned earlier uh, about Pain and Panic, and uh, the one that sticks out to me most is Panic, because I relate uh, Panic to, um, man, fear in Inside Out, and and feels the movie. They're, like, they're built the same, too. They're lanky, they're scrawny, Mm -hmm. you know, they have literally no figure except for a stick. They flail a lot. They flail a lot, they scream a lot, they get scared, hence fear and panic, you know. So I mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty that was pretty cool. What did we think about the animation for these two? Snow White set the bar for all yeah. of these movies and it actually really upsets me that movies after Snow White can look worse than Snow White. Like black cauldron you know the background and the forefront of everything didn't really mix well together while in snow white like you could obviously see that they were different they were separated but they melded better together versus being just stark background stark whatever's important Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so just the fact that that is even an issue after snow white Mm -hmm. just boggles my mind and tori and i talked about it earlier because i remember complaining about it while we were watching the movie and he was saying that it's different um uh talents like different talents in different artists and stuff like that because oh, of, like, the uh-huh. rotation and stuff like that and, like, people dying or something. I don't know. Well, more than that, <laughs> when the, they were making this movie, like, they were calling it Walt's Folly because people thought this was going to fail. So mm-hmm. him and the nine old men who were, you know, supervising everything, they paid a whole lot of detail to this because they were like, we have to get this right. And, you know, when you pay that much attention to detail at the beginning, you know, lightning in a bottle. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at the Black Cauldron, this is uh, 50 years later Mm -hmm. and, you know, you have different, you have different artists, you have, you know, the kids who grew up on this and different skill sets and different technologies. And Mm -hmm. you're going to lose a bit, you're going to lose quality or it's going to get better. And I mean, with the Black Cauldron, it just got worse. What's interesting about this is it was the first full length animated movie in the United States Pinocchio was released three years later. It was the second Disney project. My big call out for Snow White animation is I want Snow White to have a chin 
or a neck. (laughs) (laughs) It bothers me so much (laughs) that she doesn't have a neck. I think you see it, like, more in her profile than, like, in her... Yeah, but, like, looking straight on, no, it just, there's no line, there's there's (laughs) nothing separating her cheeks from her, like, chest. Um, There's, it's super frustrating. But Pinocchio is, I didn't notice anything like that, any sort of lacking detail in the animation. It just seemed older. They thickened the lines in Pinocchio, absolutely. Like, to make it more definitive. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think for what it was, Snow White, obviously revolutionary to the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, the highest grossing animated film ever when adjusted for inflation. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really cool. And it was the highest grossing film ever until Gone with the Wind came out that next year. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm going to do a shout out to uh, the water animation in the well uh, in Snow White. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, those ripples were on point. Her reflection was really great. And the fact that the water wasn't just like glass while she was looking into it, like looking in a literal mirror, like they made it ripply distorted. and stuff like that, distorted. The drops, I was talking to Tori, I was like, we don't know where the drops are coming. She's probably spitting in the well while singing, but like, <laughs> it looks great. <laughs> Something else that I loved is the at the end, towards the end, when the witch is killed. Let's say mm-hmm. she's killed. Overkilled. The fade out from her death and the vultures circling her, it kind of mm-hmm. fades out in smudges and mm-hmm. then fades back in like a water painting. Starting with a candle. Yeah, starting with a candle to the dwarfs crying around snow white's bed i think that is amazing yeah that was great Mm -hmm. it looks so good yeah Mm -hmm. and it kind of sets the mood like you know we're looking through you know weepy eyes too obviously this is based off of grimm's fairy tales but this is very similar to sleeping beauty and to cinderella in many ways yeah all three princesses were in rags at one point in some kind of servant role. Aurora wasn't in a servant role, but she was... She was a peasant girl. She was masquerading as a peasant. All of them can talk to animals. Mm-hmm. All of them have some Prince Charming. There are a lot of parallels between these these three movies in particular. I'm actually really glad you mentioned that, because I was thinking the same thing uh, when we were watching mm-hmm. it. And I kind of have like a theory of like Snow White kind of started all of that they kind of took i'm sure that they weren't like man what could we take from snow white but in like make its own movie but you know it i saw a lot of correlating themes too and i was it kind of started with snow white like it might have been a subconscious thing i think they're pretty close like these stories weren't created by disney but i think mm -hmm. disney very obviously cut them down to be approachable for children yeah um for instance in the snow white story the queen tries to poison her with a comb, and there's another way she tries to kill her. There's a poison comb, a poison apple, and there's something else. But we only come down to including the, the story about the apple. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you will need the queen to try and kill her once. That's enough Yeah, for our movie that's an hour and 15 minutes or so. Yeah, something like that. And I think that's probably true of Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty as well. That there's probably a lot more to these stories. But when you cut it down to bare bones, these are the things that you can present to six-year-old girls. Let's quickly talk about the animation style of Hercules. I 
love the glowy effect um, oh, yeah. that's created by this, particularly for the gods. But there's still this, this movie is very bright. Mm-hmm. Except for when you're in the underworld. Yeah, yeah, but there's some really great dark moments in this too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the contrast is good. And especially in the underworld, there's a lot of... Lime green. Green scale. Yeah, lime green. But instead of kind of... We have a couple things that are bright, bright green. And then everything else is kind of a gradient of gray and green. Mm-hmm. That I think is neat. So I I love the palette for this movie. And then the effect that they were able to create for the gods Mm -hmm. speaking of god's animation you talked about snow white's neck i want to talk about zeus's nipples (laughs) what the hell is with the little swirl nipple that they got going on for zeus and to set precedent if you look later dionysus the god the purplish looking god with the white toga who's clearly drunk the whole time he's i'm pretty sure he's literally the god the god of wine yeah yeah that's what dionysus is he's the god of god of the vine he has regular nipples what zeus the leader of the gods head god can't get regular nipples he gets swirls what the hell disney that's disrespectful to blow your mind a little bit more uh zeus's nipples are a swirl and then isn't hercules's chin also a swirl yes it is that doesn't make me feel any better oh i know it wasn't made (laughs) it wasn't made to make you feel better i mean a little bit of consistency (laughs) Okay, let's talk about the music from Snow White. Disney made sure that Adriana Casalotti, the voice of Snow White, wouldn't sing in anything else for the rest of her career. Oh, didn't they copyright her voice? Yeah. yeah. To make sure that the sound of Snow White was so unique. Um, and she was a classically trained singer. Oh, that sucks. Me and Heather were talking about that. We think that she has like the highest range of any Disney princess. <laughs> And it's insane. Who hums up there just casually? <laughs> like, ow. That's painful. <laughs> Nobody, who, I don't know of any soprano. Like any, let's think of the the Disney princesses. Aurora has a pretty high voice. I think Aurora, I think we talked about it. Aurora's voice is pretty in the middle. But oh. she's got, like I'm thinking about while well, she's singing in the forest. That's, that's not, that's not low. Yeah, but it's not, like, Snow White's voice is the, get it, that's Snow White's <laughs> normal range. Like, the notes that make you say, get it, that's her range, and she doesn't go any lower. I didn't notice that, that's funny. If you watch it when she's dancing, or when all the dwarves are dancing and stuff like that in their house, and they're celebrating the fact that she's gonna cook, like, ap- apple pie for them or something, they're all singing, like... Actually, kind of like closer to like our speaking, our speaking voices and stuff like that. And she just pops out a note like, ah! like, and I'm just like, what? And it's the drone. Think about it. You know, Mariah Carey's like high range. <laughs> that's all of Snow White's range. Like her, that's her normal range. I need to go back and listen to excerpts from Snow White now. It's, yes. Oh my gosh. Just listen to the whole soundtrack. Trivia about the soundtrack, by the way. This is the first soundtrack for a movie that was released on an album. Yes, that's pretty cool. But I love the, now now that we're done clowning Snow White, (laughs) I like a lot of the songs in this. I like the score in this. The score is really legit. The score is good. There were a lot of songs written for this movie that weren't used. Yes. Which I think is 
interesting for something that is really the first of its kind. There were only eight songs in the movie, but they wrote 25 songs total. I think that's optimism. Whilst like, hey guys, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be a musical. Start churning out songs and, you Just know. Just go. We can't See use this. Happens. We can't use this. Ooh, I like this. Let's take that. The, the dwarves need something to sing while they're on their way to work. Mm-hmm. Let's let's keep that one. <laughs> P.S. I want to see the dwarves rehearsing "Hi Ho" yes. because their harmony, their harmonies all over that bitch. <laughs> That's funny. Mm-hmm. I love the soundtrack from Hercules. I think it's great. I think the the songs are great, but also just the kind of background music mm-hmm. is also particularly the parts having to do with heaven mm-hmm. and with hell mm-hmm. and the underworld they're sweeping and they're deep and dark and mysterious and it's mm-hmm. yeah the horns are getting it all in the yeah. soundtrack oh my yeah. goodness they're so on point i like the songs in this i like how the muses are used kind of as a gospel choir throughout yes. the whole thing <laughs> Still a little confused about that, but I don't hate it. <laughs> and I like your I like your point about heaven and hell, because it kind of supports the idea that the muse muses are a gospel choir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't made that connection. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I have on more than one occasion sung songs from this from Hercules in my shower, wildly. Hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Grace, be honest. You sing "Go the Distance" in your shower, don't you? You can tell us. You can tell us. It's it's just us and our listeners. Girl, it's it's zero to hero. No zero to hero. No. <laughs> One of the weakest songs from this movie. Do we want to decide? Yeah, you go first on this one. Don't do me wrong. You bitch. I can see it. I can see it in your eyes. I kind of want to say Snow White because we need a classic. <laughs> we need some classic representation. And I, I already said I'm not the biggest fan of Hercules. We're beating the Beast good... and Lion King. What? They're, they're not classics. They're modern. We don't, we don't need classic classics. We do need classics. We've got Renaissance. It's fine. Really? We're going to knock out the first one? Here's my thought. Cinderella is going to, like, Cinderella and Peter Pan are going to be up there. And they're in the 50s. They're in the early 50s. What are they going against? It's it's Peter Pan versus 101 Dalmatians. Dumbo versus Mulan. Cinderella versus the Emperor's New Groove, I think. And then Nightmare Nightmare versus Chicken Little. Cinderella and Peter Pan will be my picks for those, almost definitely. Fox and the Hound versus Brave. I'm thinking of old stuff. I'm showing you all the old stuff. Sword in the Stone versus Toy Story. That's the last one. <laughs> Please. That's another That's another old one that's not getting through. <laughs> you never know. Grace doesn't like Toy Story. What's it up against? Sword in the Stone. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to win. Grace isn't going to screw me on Sword in the Stone. <laughs> but you got her on Atlantis. <laughs> After much deliberation... And some fierce convincing. And yes, and some a lot of goading. And against my better judgment, I'm picking Hercules. There are a lot of things I like about Snow White. The animation holds up very well today. The songs are great. 
but hercules i guess is a better movie the score's good the story's good the characters are good hades is a more capable villain than the queen not that the evil queen is a bad villain she she kind of succeeds she just she would have succeeded if lightning if fate hadn't intervened and struck that cliff she would have killed the dwarves and got away with it guys i really don't want to choose hercules but i'm choosing hercules well i don't want to i mean if you really think snow white should move on then vote snow white like seriously i will hold it against you but (laughs) it is your choice heather you better have my back on this shit no (laughs) i'm so torn i really need y'all to like not i need i need y'all to agree (laughs) coercion seems like a bad precedent to set okay first ever i'm changing my vote i'm picking snow white because of what i just said about the villain hades hades the queen didn't lose i feel like she got cheated by by extra dimensional sources hercules actually beat hades the dwarfs and snow white did not beat the queen i like the songs regardless of snow white's bananas range the the visuals hold up the animation holds up it's a great simple story and it can be expanded on i feel like after hercules that's it like i like i like a lot in hercules but the stuff in snow white it gets me more so i'm picking snow white i'm throwing tori so much shade over skype right now (laughs) sticking to my guns on this one my pick is hercules um based on the criteria that we've been using for our entire podcast which is if you had to watch one movie all day long which one would you watch for me it's hands down hercules i love this movie it's one of my favorites from my childhood i do really enjoy snow white but hercules is beautiful it's got great songs yeah i i would watch this over and over this is as far as the disney renaissance goes this is up there with my favorite from that era this came out in 1997 heather it's uh it's your go tori you ranked hercules as 32nd and i ranked this as 13th heather ranked this in her tier two and then tori oh you ranked snow white as 51st and I ranked it as 27th. Heather ranked it as tier 4. How do you feel about them apples? I've already said that Hercules isn't one is my least favorite movie from the Renaissance. Do you think so you ranked it as 32. Do you think that's pretty accurate or do you think it'll move up or down? It'll move down, but not past 40. Like I I I like this movie. Don't get me wrong. It's just my least favorite of the movies from the 90s. So that puts it at least 35. I rank this as 13th. It seems a little bit high, especially considering some of the Pixar options. I think it is certainly one of my most watched Disney movies. I think this will for sure stay in the top 20s for me, though. I love this movie. I think Snow White I have listed as 27th, and that might be a little high for me. I think this will end up in the 30s based on what else is on the list. Okay, Heather. Sorry, not sorry. It's decision time. Oh, uh, I'm still writing down things. Hang on. 
Are you making a pros and cons list? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. So, I'm going to go with Hercules. <laughs> um, only because, like, so the music in both are, like, the music is beautiful in both movies. Um, they're both very memorable. Um, I was trying to figure out what was um, kind of comparable in, in those. But, I mean, Go the Distance in Hercules and then um, Off to Work We Go or whatever song. Hi-ho. Yeah. I was thinking it was hi-ho, but I was kind of thinking I was wrong. But yeah, so they're both like two super memorable ones. So that kind of nixed it. The animation is gorgeous in both. Um, pretty appropriate for both to- like both the times that they were like made in. The plot um, I liked in Hercules that they tried to kind of stick more towards uh, Greek mythology, even though, of course, they breezed over like a lot of things, but they at least... Um, introduced it um and in snow white it was the starter for a lot of it you know it was the beginning of everything which is actually one of the reasons why this is super hard uh but in the villains um i don't think the queen would have won even though the lightning struck um and just kind of spited her a little bit um because with the potion that she drank it made her weaker and it made her i mean it made her ugly it made her you know kind of powerless or whatever it disguised her kind of thing but it made her weak and i do not fully believe she would have gotten that boulder down to crush the seven dwarves and all of their animal friends that were behind them i think they mm-hmm. i think that the seven dwarves after realizing that the queen couldn't crush them would have gone up there and probably pushed her off the cliff themselves so i'm gonna go with hercules okay how are you feeling tori i'm fine i mean i'm not crying you're crying <laughs> it's really dusty in this pantry this, okay. This is freaking fabric softener. The studio. <laughs> I don't know why there's fabric softener in the studio, but there is. Moving on. A Bug's Life is about a colony of ants on an island who are threatened by grasshoppers every year. And after a mishap destroys all the food for the grasshoppers, a bu- uh, an ant named Flick is sent out to find help to defeat the grasshoppers and what he brings back are circus bugs masquerading as warriors <laughs> okay toy story 2 is about um our dear toy friend woody who gets stolen by this toy collector kind of um he's he's looking to complete his set for woody's roundup and he steals woody from a garage sale that he's accidentally in. And so we've got Woody's timeline where he's learning about where he comes from and these new friends that are part of his past. And then he's also, you've also got the other toys who are trying to rescue Woody. It's kind of the inverse of Toy Story 3. What'd you think of these movies, Grace? What'd you think of Toy Story 2? Ah... <sighs> So, I did not, like, I wasn't a big fan of Toy Story 1 when I was younger, and I really didn't like Toy Story 2. I'm mad about it. I, it's not, it wasn't as bad as I 
remembered it being. I liked it slightly more. It made me really sad that Woody gave up on his his toy friends so easily that he conceded to going to a museum in Tokyo so easily just after like we've seen that these toys have been through so much that I I don't know that it's entirely believable in this world. I do remember really liking A Bug's Life when I was younger and I thought it was good. I don't think it was amazing. I think this will probably end up moving down in my overall rankings. What about you? I liked Toy Story 2 a lot growing up because I was a Toy Story fan. I think I watched it more than Toy Story. No, I didn't I didn't watch it as much as Toy Story just because I didn't own like the VHS. But I didn't hate it. I liked them about the same. A Bug's Life, I actually had to like not so much make myself watch, but it was I didn't watch it for a while because I didn't want to cuz this a lot, around the same time that this movie came out, the movie Ants came out. Mhm. And I thought Ants was the better movie. It had, you know, a star-studded cast. It was from DreamWorks and everything. And I was like, meh, not worried about A Bug's Life. I'll stick with Ants, you know, Stallone, Mm -hmm. Jennifer Lopez, all all the stars and everything. I mean, don't get me wrong, Ants is a good movie. I wasn't really worried about A Bug's Life. I don't really remember... I remember that they came out at the same time. I don't really remember the plotline to Ants. Not that it's important for this, mm-hmm. but still. Let's talk a little bit more about the plot for Toy Story 2. It's really all kind of, not so much predicated on an accident, Yeah. but it's really predicated on Woody being noble. Like he ends up at a yard, he ends up getting stolen because he's at a yard sale saving another toy. Mm-hmm. And, you know... He accidentally falls off the dog and ends up at the yard sale and then he gets stolen. Buzz and the other toys have to end up saving Woody and it's kind of by accident. And that opening act of bravery kind of pays off the end where he doesn't, he kind of decides to leave his other friends because he doesn't want the Roundup gang to go back into storage. And it's kind of, it's, it's, Woody being noble is set up at the beginning. That's my point. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I don't like Jesse. I, I think they go a little too far with how annoying and also beyond annoying how petty she is. She is petty. Absolutely. I think uh, the prospector... So the prospector is presented to us as a character who's always in his box and is fairly like straight and narrow not too much interest going on and he ends up being a douche like yeah he does he ends up sabotaging woody and i think um it would be easy for him to have that kind of influence on jesse except we never see that side of him until the very end Mm -hmm. um so i'm not really sure what made her be this petty I think it's jealousy to tell you the truth. It is. Because you see her you see her whole flashback montage of how she was with Emily and how hurt she was when Emily left her at, you know, uh donation in that donation truck. Mm-hmm. And you hear Woody gush about 
Andy and everything. And I think, frankly, she's just jealous. Like, she remembers how Emily made her, how Emily made her feel that way. Mm-hmm. And she's never getting that back. She thinks she's never getting that back. And she thinks her going to the museum and being a, being adored through a glass is her only way to get as close to what she had with Emily. Mm-hmm. I think she was kind of scorned by Emily, too. Because um, anytime she thinks of kids, until Woody's like, this is what it's all about. Like, until Woody basically tells her, no, you, you know you miss it. You know, and then she's like, yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. Basically, until that point, she just she like spits andy's name out every time she's like andy you know like Mm -hmm. your precious andy you know she just is so mad that you know she got put under a bed and then in a box you -hmm. know like she's scorned by what happened to her and so anytime she sees another, you know, toy being loved by a kid she's just like oh that's gonna end up exactly like i did just wait I think it's interesting that Bullseye doesn't talk. Yeah. All of the other animals that are toys, like we've got Slinky Dog, we've got the Dinosaur, um, we've got Hand the Piggy Bank, mm-hmm. and they all talk. I think Bullseye is just that that Disney horse character that is up for shenanigans. I think that's <laughs> what he is. Like, they kind of... Okay took a page out of disney book and it's like hey let's give woody a horse sidekick (laughs) cowboy right gotta have his trusty steed yeah i did notice that i think more than any other movie this had more easter eggs outside of the pixar universe like there are certain things we're used to seeing in every pixar movie like a113 and like the pizza planet truck um we're used to seeing those but Within a span of five minutes, there's a call out to Star Wars with um, Zerg, mm-hmm. and there's a call out to Star Trek. Yeah, um, yep. Buzz Lightyear at the end and gives the the hand signal, um, which I thought was neat. Mm-hmm. It was a cool call out. The whole beginning is full of uh, Star Wars sound effects. Mm-hmm. Just listen. You have the breathing. <laughs> you have when. Yeah, uh, I remember the breathing. When Buzz tries to go for the battery when he waves his hand through, there's the lightsaber sound. Yeah. There's, um, what is it? When he shoots the sentry in the wall. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. little, there's, it's the, uh, the X-Wing fighter sound. It's the X-Wing mm-hmm. blaster sound. Mm-hmm. There's so many good sound effects in Toy Story 2. Let's talk about A Bug's Life. Um, I think A Bug's Life is basically the uh it's the story of you know the seven samurai or uh the magnificent seven uh a town is being threatened and someone is sent out to go get help and these this random collection of misfits uh no not so much nobodies but this random murderer's row of people with certain skills is brought in to help and usually in i mean in set in magnificent seven they're different and they decide to help and some of them you know die some of them spoilers some of them die Mm. and 
you know, they all put their skills to get used to help the town. And this one is the same thing. Uh, nobody dies, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these bugs show up kind of by mistake. Like Flick lies. They think that he's a talent scout. So there's confusion everywhere. And yeah. at the end, they all just kind of, they all have to, you know, they all have love for the town. and in, But in this case, an anthill and all the people mm-hmm. that live there, live there. And they have to, you know, they say, hey, we got to stop these grasshoppers because, you know, we care about you people. It took me a while to figure out who Hopper was voiced by. <laughs> but now that I know that it's Kevin Spacey, it just kind of clicked into place. I need to see more Kevin Spacey movies. Oh, man. Watch House of Cards. I need to do that. But Hopper doesn't have a southern accent, so it... It doesn't matter. Okay. Doesn't need a southern accent. Neither does Kevin Spacey, but <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I think of Lex Luthor when I think of Kevin Spacey and Hopper because it's kind of he's channeling his 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 villain for Luthor when he's super mm-hmm. when he's in Superman Returns later. But yeah, he's 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 good in this. He's good in this. Mm-hmm. The ensemble cast for Bugs Life is is pretty impressive. Um, Toy Story had a lot of time to kind of develop their group of characters, Mm -hmm. and each of them have a very distinct personality. Mm -hmm. And A Bugs Life, we've got the ants, which as a whole aren't diverse at all. Yeah, I think that that's their thing. They are very much of hive mind. And you can tell that the princess is trying to start take on these leadership roles and it's really out of her comfort zone because she's always been a follower and then you've got dot who is still impressionable and really kind of she really kind of gets the blueberries to embrace it embrace flicks a whole being like his kind of think outside the box is yeah his quirks his personality yeah flick is very interested in science and finding new ways to to do things to to go a little bit outside the box to find creative solutions then you've got the whole team of of circus bugs um and all of them kind of have this different persona to take on you've got the black widow who is mysterious and a little bit sexy and you've got caterpillar who is kind of german and he is the comic relief of the group. He is. Yeah. I'm a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> With your tiny, tiny wings. Yeah. You've got the twin roly-polies tuck and roll. <laughs> and they don't understand a lick of English and no one understands them. And it's kind of funny, but and it's super, yeah. super real. And then you have Dim. Yes. You have Gypsy the Moth, who has kind of taken on this mother warrior persona mm-hmm. yes yeah, uh slim uh-huh so yeah i really like the diversity of this cast speaking of diversity heather talk to us about francis so francis is a ladybug but he's a dude and everyone in the movie keeps calling him a her and it really bugs me haha <laughs> knee slap and <laughs> but it does because he is he's a he you know and so because he 
doesn't look like a he. Everyone assumes that he's a she, and that's not okay. But at the same time, I think he's also, because he's a male ladybug, he um, tries to overcompensate for it. And so I think the blueberries actually help him kind of like, kind of dial that down a little bit and, and, you know, accept that it is okay to, you know, not have to pretend to want to punch people in the face, but then, you know, cower over it like two seconds later, like he did earlier in the fight with the flies. Um, You know, that's an interesting call out because I couldn't understand, like, I almost wanted to make a, um, a relation to transgender people now Mm -hmm. um because that's still that's kind of the latest taboo Mm -hmm. i guess it's it's something um people are less comfortable talking about yeah which Um, it should be i wasn't quite sure no not at all i think it i wasn't sure this is sorry this is 18 years ago (laughs) um so i'm not sure that's really what they were talking about um it did bother me that that was an assumption that the ladybug would be a girl because all of these bugs have have both genders so why wouldn't you have i think like i think it's still pretty appropriate to put that like not saying that you said it was inappropriate but transgender people have had this problem forever mm-hmm. and so i actually kind of commend them for putting that kind of thing in a bug's life, even if they didn't mean to, it still irks the shit out of me that they kept calling Francis a she when he wanted, when he is a he. Yeah. I think if it had been an intentional commentary, then there would have been that change, that adjustment. There was. There was a little bit um, within the ant colony. One of the like, councilwoman, like, she's, like, a healer aunt or something like that. She was always the one that carried the flower, and she sounded really Minnesotan. Mm-hmm. And uh, she called Francis a she, but then later she called him a he, just very subtly, um, with the blueberries, like, warming up to them and stuff like that. And she said she said he would make a great mother. So, okay. sort of, they changed their pronouns. I wish they made, like, a little more about it kind of thing if that's the way they wanted to go um but i think that that illustrated the struggle pretty decently Mm -hmm. if that's not what the movie is about i'm glad that they like at least illustrated the struggle because i know it i know it just i know it just irritated the hell out of me i was like he's a dude like stop calling him she if that's not what he wants Mm -hmm. he is a he so call him a he you know like that is what he is, you know. So I'm glad that they put that in there for people to see that kind of struggle, even though it was dialed down a lot. Okay. What'd you guys think of the music? Toy Story 2 seemed to pull a lot from the first one. Um, basically, you had either music from Toy Story 1 or you had new music for Woody's Roundup. I didn't think it was anything spectacular. I didn't think it... Hang on. You didn't think the beginning was spectacular? What do you mean? The beginning of Toy Story 2? That whole space part? That was... 
That was fucking yes. amazing. Okay, I keep forgetting about the beginning space scene. Like yes. that, everything in that video game scene was fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, okay. But the rest of it was pretty theme and variations. The rest of it was, yeah, was pretty standard. But I will give you that three minutes of awesomeness. Three and a half. Okay. <laughs> That's what he and said. Then with the... <laughs> Then with A Bug's Life, I kept commenting to Heather that I loved the theme, and those horns were getting it. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. yeah. My goodness. Another another movie where horns were on freaking point. Oh my word. It was so good. That theme gets used a lot, though. Like, almost to... A fault. Annoyance. Like, in mm. this... I, I blame Randy Newman. He did the music for both of these. And he kind of, he does theme and variation. Yeah. Um, these were made back to back. A Bug's Life was made in 1998 mm-hmm. and Toy Story 2 was made in 1999. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's some crossover between the soundtracks. actually makes sense for the animation too. Because they, they yeah. kind of look the same to me. We already talked about Kevin Spacey, but... The voice of Stinky Pete, who eventually became the <laughs> villain at the end of the movie, uh, was mm-hmm. voiced by Kelsey Grammer, who is famous for being Sideshow oh. Bob on The Simpsons. Huh. And when he goes on his little tirade at the end, you can hear Sideshow Bob come out of his voice, and it's it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I did not make that connection, but now that you've told me that, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> And something you said about Jesse earlier, I'm thinking Lotso is Lotso in the third one is a combination of Jesse's pettiness and Stinky Pete's kind of rage. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I think Lotso and Jesse already have a lot of parallels between their storylines by being replaced in some way by their owners. Or just given away. In Jesse's case. Yeah. Um, and I think the prospector, yeah, he's got a lot of rage and resentment and and Lotso kind of, Lotso has those things too. I think that's an interesting. So are we ready to choose between these two? Yeah. Grace, I'm interested to see what you, what you pick. I don't want to go first. <laughs> Do I have to? I will say, well, let's look at where we where we rank these first. Tori ranked Toy Story 2 as 13th. I ranked it as 41st. Heather put this in her tier 3. Tori ranked A Bug's Life as 35th. I ranked it as 34th. And Heather put this in tier 4. Um, I have no strong feelings about either of these. I am not as anti-Toy Story 2 as I was before I went into it. Um, I'm also not as pro A Bug's Life as I was when I went into it. Do either of you have strong opinions? I want to know, Heather, after watching A Bug's Life, would you move it from Tier 4? Because it's kind of low. Nah, I mean, it might go up to Tier 3 for like the music alone, but I mean, there wasn't anything too terribly prominent in it that would make me want to continue to watch it a lot if that makes sense like i would buy the soundtrack my pick is toy story 2 
I like this movie a lot. The uh, Star Wars illusions. We didn't even talk about how Zerg ends up being Buzz's father, air quotes, at the end, a la Empire Strikes Back, which was hilarious once I finally got it. <laughs> once you finally got it? Did it take you a second? Well, I didn't, I didn't get it when I first saw it. I was maybe, like, you know, in my teens when I figured it out. That's what I mean. The voice cast is good. You know, Tim Allen and Tom Hanks, especially because this is this is Tom Hanks's movie because Woody's the main. It's about Woody. They knock yeah. it out of the park again. The new people, the new characters are great. It builds the world a lot more. It That's something that I love about sequels. You got to build the world. The music is good. I, it's not that I dislike A Bug's Life. The more I watch it, the more I like it because I get something more out of it. But Toy Story 2 is already there. So Mm -hmm. my pick is Toy Story 2. I think both of these will probably end up in my 40s. I don't think either. They're pretty close. Um, I'm going to vote for Toy Story 2 to move on simply because this builds the Toy Story universe and because it had a couple really good call-outs outside of the Pixar bubble um, that we don't normally see or aren't normally as noticeable in Pixar movies, um, particularly the Star Wars and Star Trek. I thought that was pretty cool. Our last matchup of this episode is Goofy Movie versus The Rescuers Down Under. The Rescuers Down Under is the sequel to The Rescuers. What? Bernard and Miss Bianca have to travel to Australia to rescue a boy named Cody who is taken by a poacher who is hunting a rare giant golden eagle. Okay. Uh, A Goofy movie is about Goofy's son, Max, who um, is falling in love for the first time and wants to impress a girl. He puts on this outstanding performance of a... Powerline song. Powerline is the um, rock star of the universe and kind of catches Roxanne's attention. Goofy sees that Max gets in trouble and decides he's taking him on a road trip across the country. And it's about kind of how Max deals with trying to impress a girl and growing up and how Goofy tries to connect with his son. What were your first impressions of these two movies? I remember liking both of them. I These weren't movies that I watched a lot when I was younger. Um, so I didn't... I think I remembered more about the Goofy movie than The Rescuers Down Under. I, As I mentioned before, I remember watching The Rescuers Down Under, and I don't think I ever watched The Rescuers, so I'm not sure really how that happened. Yeah, what about you? Funny story. I remember growing up, I didn't have this... I loved this movie, but I didn't have it on VHS. So I would go to the library and check it out at least every other week and watch it. And I loved this movie. This is our dear friend Pedro's. This is one of his favorite Disney movies. Pedro has good taste. I was told I was I would be disowned if I didn't like this movie. <laughs> He's right. He's right. Um, And then The Rescuers Down Under, I think I watched this in school, like in elementary school. I think they showed this to us one day because, you know, you randomly watch movies. And I didn't 
after it took me a minute to like it, but after a while I did. I loved the scenes with the boy and the giant eagle because it's, mm-hmm. it looks freaking cool. Mm-hmm. And watching it now, I appreciate how good it lo- how good the animation actually looks. And comparing it to the rescuers, this movie is so great. Mm-hmm. Like it's night and day improvements over the rescuers, animation wise, animation wise, story wise, character wise. It's great. It's a good. And again, it not so it doesn't so much expand the world, but it does give great character development to Bernard and Bianca. Yeah. It was also made 13 years later. Yeah, this movie did come out in 1990. This is technically part of the Disney Renaissance. Yeah. It just doesn't have songs. What do you think about the characters in a Goofy movie? I like the characters a lot. I didn't watch Goof Troop when I was younger, but this movie mm-hmm. is basically... It basically follows a Goof Troop, which is a TV show about the adventures of... It's basically an animated sitcom about Goofy and his son Max and Pete and Mm -hmm. PJ and PJ's mom and little sister who aren't in this movie. I'm guessing Pete got divorced because he's a dick. He is. (laughs) And then he took his son to be his little slave. I like I like PJ. I like Bobby, even though I hate Polly Shore. He's fucking annoying. His antics (laughs) and his personality worked great for Bobby. His obsession with cheese. Uh-huh. Can we briefly talk about how hot Roxanne is? Yeah, <laughs> that's a thing. She is cute. Also, it, so Goofy's a dog, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Roxanne's dad is very obviously a dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of dog is Roxanne? I think she's whatever Lady is from yeah. Lady and the Tramp. I think she might be closer to that because her hair kind of reminds me of oh, Lady. Okay. Mm-hmm. Principal Miser is voiced by Wallace Shawn, <laughs> who was also in The Incredibles as Mr. Incredibles' boss. boss. <laughs> that fires him. And he's also the voice of, God, what's his name from Princess Bride? The guy who says inconceivable. Nobody knows what that guy's yes. name is. Anyway, that's who Wallace Shawn is. I really like... We're going to get into the plot. I really like the plot of a Goofy movie because there is no villain. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's it's just conflict and character development. It's Max trying to get over his... his not so much his hatred, but his... What's the word? Embarrassment. Angst. Yeah, both of those. Angst and embarrassment over being Goofy's son. And mm-hmm. he just wants to be a kid and he just wants to hang out with this girl that he likes. And Goofy's not at fault. He just trying he's just trying to be a good dad. He's trying to protect his son, but they just happen to collide as you do with your parents from time to time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the whole movie is about them coming to an understanding that max you're my son i love you dad i i love you too i just want to have my own life away from you being goofy Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not the goofy his persona his celebrity of it's not his meta celebrity of him being goofy that hangs out with donald and mickey who make appearances Mm -hmm. it's him being you know 
clumsy and out of touch with the way things are now. Like, he didn't even know who Powerline was. Mm-hmm. So Max tells Roxanne that he's going to a Powerline concert in L.A. And... He's not. And he's not. When they, when they leave for their vacation, he's not going to L.A. They're going to Washington. Some Idaho. Going to some... Idaho. Idaho. Lake Destiny, They're going Idaho. to a campground in Idaho. And Goofy gives control of the map to Max and lets him decide how they're going to get where they're going. And Max redraws the map to go to L.A. And so there's this... The, the scene when um, Max changes the map, my heart got beating. Like, the the lighting changes, the music is really... It's a really tense scene. Suspenseful. Yeah. yeah, it's and and it's the same way when Goofy um goes to check the map because he's just been told that Max has been deceitful. Goofy goes to check the map and I get that same like the dread of knowing how much this is going to hurt Goofy um is so Go ahead. I didn't notice this until we watched it this time when Goofy checks the map, it cuts away. Like he hits, he hits the dash, which is that's a terrible car. If you just hit mm-hmm. the dash and the glove compartment pops out, the map pops out, and he looks over at the map, and then it cuts away to the car, and then the next thing you see is Goofy walking into the hotel room, just shook, and it's yeah. so great, and Goofy looks just so crushed. Yeah, yeah. So what about rescuers? The Rescuers Down Under, it starts out the same as The Rescuers, but leaps and bounds better. Like, I was telling Heather, the opening, what, 10-minute scene of the boy with the eagle, like, he run, he leaves his, he leaves the house in Australia so nice. and goes out into the wild and talks to animals because mm-hmm. it's a Disney movie, so you can talk to animals and they can talk back. Yes. They tell him about an eagle, a giant eagle that is trapped on top of a, a mountain. Let's call it a mountain. It's a cliff. They they say it's a cliff. Yeah. He climbs the fucking cliff. Like, it's like, no big deal. I do this every day. <laughs> Releases the eagle, and then the eagle proceeds to knock him off the mountain, which we all saw coming. And then they go on this amazing how-to-train-your-dragon-esque scene <laughs> of just flying around above the clouds. And it's amazing. It looks so good. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Tori. Now I need to go watch how to, how to Train Your Dragon. You say that like you're mad about having to go watch How to Train Your Dragon again. Hmm. I'm not. It's one of my favorites. Not a Disney movie. But let it be known that Cody was cutting the Golden Eagle free from being bound because it got caught by like a poacher or something like Poachers. that. And so him getting knocked off the cliff was really just the golden eagles uh like defense mechanism and then it got free or she because it's a she um she got free and then she was like oh shit and then like caught him and then like went on a really nice Mm -hmm. like speeded it away flight (laughs) thanks for saving me i can show you the world because i'm a giant eagle why can't this eagle talk every other animal in this movie talks I think she decides not to. She's too majestic. All she does is call. There are even other birds that talk in this series. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the albatross. 
She either decides not to or there's just something special about her that makes it to where she can't talk, but she can understand him. So, I don't know. She might be mute. (laughs) Zootopia. She used to talk, but then she went savage. Yeah. (laughs) And then after their majestic flight through the Australian outback. Their magic carpet ride, yes. Cody and Marahute, which is the eagle's name, gets they get kidnapped by McLeach, uh, who is the poacher. And fucking Joanna. Cody calls, yeah, and Joanna, the creepiest ass lizard. And then Cody calls for help, and that distress signal gets all the way. It's a long scene of the transmission jumping, or the trans, the Morse code transmission jumping all the way to the rescue aid society, and. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to Bernard and Bianca at dinner where Bernard's about to propose, which is good character development. Mm -hmm. And then they're off on their mission again. The one thing I did love, and I didn't get it until this viewing, Albatross airs under new management. And in this one, we get Wilbur. In the first one, we got Orville, which are the names of the Wright brothers who first flew a plane. And I thought that was a great you know, reference to make. I thought it was hilarious when I finally got it. Yeah. Heather, tell us about the ending of this movie that you hate so much. Rescues Down Under is a very good movie until the end when they leave uh, Wilbur to tend to the eggs of the Golden Eagle (laughs) and they never show back up and it only shows Wilbur being like, guys, where are you? And then the eggs hatching and you don't even like see all this happening. You like hear it. Because it's a very it's scenic, yeah, it's a very scenic silhouette, like, picture to end it, and you hear eggs cracking, and Wilbur's like, ah, you know, or something, and uh, Cody never gets to, we we don't know, we don't know if Cody ever goes home, uh, we don't know if the Golden Eagle ever goes back to uh, tend to her eggs, you know, like a good mother. It's, it's like they ran out of money for a good ending, and writing a good ending like it could have been so simple up until that point well a couple of actually up until the boy got locked up and i was bored by the stupid iguana that was locked up with him i was like i really hope this movie gets worse because it's kind of better than a goofy movie right now because the anime that opening scene i told heather i'm like this opening scene is amazing yep for the rescue done under yes Mm mm-hmm See, I love the first 10 minutes of a Goofy movie. I love it so much. (laughs) Mostly because of the song to stand out. Yes. Yeah. I love it so much. (laughs) I had it stuck in my head and not even in a bad way for probably two days after watching this. I love that song. We watched a Goofy movie with Kelsey who was on our uh, I Want Song episode. And I said, guys, do you realize that the beginning of a Goofy movie is kind of like Thriller? Like Max kind of turns into he's with his <laughs> he with his girl on a date. I guess they're on a date in this giant wheat field, and he turns he kind of wolfman's out and turns into Goofy, <laughs> and then he wakes up. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of thriller. <laughs> yeah, it's just like thriller. There are definitely some allusions to Michael Jackson in Powerline. Michael Jackson is in the movie. What in the in uh in on the open road. When he says, can somebody get me out of here to Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills 90210, a limo drives by and there's a sequin glove waving. That's Michael. Michael Jackson is totally in this movie. <laughs> I didn't even know this. Fuck, that's cool. Come on. 
Okay. But yeah, Powerline is definitely a cross between like Michael Jackson, Prince, and MC Hammer. Prince. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Because he has the he has the the haircut like well actually his haircuts like Prince too. It's Prince, yeah. He, he, he his haircuts kind of like a cross between Prince and uh, MC Hammer, and then his singing is kind of kind of Michael Jackson, and his dancing is he does the moon. Max does the moonwalk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He does it twice. He does it in shoes on the sidewalk. That's not easy. The score to The Rescuers Down Under was fantastic. It was very horn heavy and... It's very majestic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uplifting and soaring and lots of flying words. <laughs> soaring, feathery. Uh... <laughs> Aviary. Uh, wait, no. On the other hand, except for a few moments, the score to a Goofy movie, there is one. It was done by Carter Burwell, who did the music to Twilight. Why do I know that? What? Yeah. Look it up if you don't believe me. Except for a few moments, the score is kind of lacking. The songs are great. There are five really good songs. Six if you count the Possum Jamboree, but nobody counts the Possum Jamboree. Oh, so bad. Other than that, it's the really it's really the songs that carry the music in a goofy movie. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, there are no songs in The Rescuers Down Under, but the score is really good. Mm-hmm. So I really don't know who gets the edge as far as music goes. Yeah. Rescuers Down Under sounded fuller with the score that they had. A goofy movie had their songs that, you know, people... Kind of poppy and familiar. Yeah, um, but they also had some just straight up instrumental parts, kind of like with, with the map scenes. Yeah. That really helped egg on the feels of suspense and, oh shit, that's going to really suck for Goofy here in about two minutes. It has really good road trip music. Yeah. Like, it makes it feel like this is a road trip movie. Mm-hmm. Because, like, that montage that Heather was just talking about, the the music, if you would see that. In a road trip movie. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. every road trip movie has, like, okay, we need to build some character through visuals. Montage time. Yeah. I think Grace has standouts stuck in her head. I definitely do. <laughs> I win. <laughs> I'm over here bobbing my head. One more bit of headcanon before we pick. Goofy says he doesn't know Powerline Max says he's never met Powerline before that day. His dad has never met Powerline before that day. Mm-hmm. I think that's all bullshit. I think Goofy actually does know Powerline because how else did Powerline know the dance and the perfect catch? I think Max was up to something, like he was on to something when he says that him and Powerline were in a band and Goofy taught Powerline the perfect catch because... When they landed on stage, Powerline was so cool about it. I feel like Powerline, if he was a real person well, nowadays, he'd be like Beyonce and would be so cool with like fans just showing up on stage. Like, oh, it's okay. You can dance. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like those moves. Get it. I'm going to join in. Yeah. <laughs> Powerline would be one of those. Like his Instagram would be so lit. His Twitter <laughs> would be on fire. All the time. Between a goofy movie and the rescuers down under, who wins? I'll go first. A goofy movie wins. (laughs) Um, Let's see where we had these ranked first. Uh, A goofy movie was Tori ranked at 11th. 
I ranked this at 17th. Heather did not rank a Goofy movie. Might be one. I don't think I don't think Heather was in when we added a Goofy movie to the bracket. Oh, probably that too. Again, we needed something to take the place of Winnie the Pooh. So we're like, why not a Goofy movie? Mm-hmm. Everybody loves a Goofy movie. A Goofy movie actually isn't a Disney classic. It wasn't even made by Walt Disney Studios. It was actually made by, I think, Toontown Studios, which is like the, the same people that made Goof Troop, like the Toon Disney studio, basically, was heavily involved with a Goofy movie. Gotcha. That's why the animation looks so different than anything else. Mm-hmm. Tori ranked The Rescuers Down Under at 38th. I ranked it as 60th. And Heather ranked this in tier 3. I think Rescuers will move up for me, maybe in the 50s. I think I'm, when I bring things up, The Rescuers will go down. My pick is a Goofy movie. I love the songs. I still love this movie. And the idea that the conflict comes from just Max growing up to appreciate his dad and recognizing what his dad does for him. It's so real. We've all gone through that with our parents at some point. And I love how real that feels from from Max. So moving on to round two, we have The Incredibles, Hercules, Toy Story 2, and a Goofy movie. Anything you weren't expecting? Nah, I didn't expect Snow White to have much of a chance. It was super close, you have no idea. I had a huge internal struggle. It's okay, I'm over it. It's fine. I'm not mad. He's not over it. I'm totally over it. I swear I'm over it. For Drunken Disney, let's do... Do you want to do The Incredibles or a Goofy movie? You pick. It's your segment. Hmm. Let's do The Incredibles. Let's do... Anytime you see one of the Incredibles use a superpower. Anytime Edna says a line. Anytime she's a sassy bitch, which is every time she opens her mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And I need a third one. Anytime either Mr. Incredible or Elastigirl or Violet or Dash fight. Like, argue. Anytime they're a family and argue. Mm. Okay. Yeah, they bicker. Gotcha. Anytime they're, like, completely ordinary... And that they are fighting. Mm-hmm. In our next episode, we'll be talking about The Nightmare Before Christmas versus Chicken Little, 101 Dalmatians versus Peter Pan, Cinderella versus The Emperor's New Groove, and Dumbo versus Mulan. You can follow Disney Versus on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disney Versus, on Twitter at Disney VS, and if you feel like, you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and... If you have people that don't use iTunes, you can subscribe to us on Google Play Music. Give us five pineapples. Give us uh, 6.5 grapefruits. All the pears. I just want them all. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.